You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. We have a joke in our family where we say things like, uh, maybe it's coping mechanism, success through lowered expectations. You know, you ever go into something and you just, you got high expectations and that was not what I was hoping for at all. And especially with a large family, a lot of weird things can happen and you have ideals and well, it doesn't always work. So success or lowered expectations. Some of you, however, have adapted that philosophy of success through lowered expectations to your walk with the Lord. You, you came to know Jesus, you were promised certain things, you read things in the Bible, and over time you have grown weary and you have, you have diminished your expectations to meet your experience. And I am here to implore you to abandon that sort of thought. You have a life of power and of gifting that is waiting for you, and it is promised to you by the Lord. What we are seeing now, as great as this, this is wonderful. I love this. We gather, we worship with our friends, we pray. We say we're going to pray about something. People don't have to be prodded. They jump up. I have pastor friends who will be amazed that we can just announce that and have 10 people jump up and pray. That just doesn't happen everywhere. I love this. However, this is not the end of it. This is not the fullness of what the Lord has. Corey Russell was speaking this week at a conference, and he said, Jesus did not die for 45 minutes and a $20 bill. This is not everything, okay? There is a fullness that the Holy Spirit is promised for us that I want to lean into. And so we're going to dive into a series called The Promised Experience about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you use the Bible app on your phone, most of you do, use the Bible app, you can point your camera at this QR code and it will bring up notes that you can follow along with. Or if you just open up the events part, you can, you can find all your notes. And let me, let me uh, predicate your freak out, okay? Because some of you are going to open that and you are going to think that I'm going to preach all those notes today. Don't panic, all right? I, I'm, I'm fully aware of what time it is, and we have invested our time otherwise, and I don't think that there's any chance in the world that we're going to get through all those notes. Okay? Don't feel bad. I just want to put you at ease. I may still preach them, but at least you're at ease. No, I'm just kidding. Some of this that we're going to talk about about the Holy Spirit is going to be new to some of you, and some of you, you've actually heard me say this before. I hardly ever re-preach something. I, I just don't do it. However, there are some things over history that I was right about the first time. And so we're going to say them the same way again. So if you're sitting and you go, I think I've heard this before, that's okay. As we go on in the course of the series, we are going to veer off into some things that I really haven't touched in, in front of this crowd or really even in the five years. Before we get to those sorts of things, let's talk a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. And here's your cheat code for this week, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person that we will encounter. He's a person we encounter. That should not surprise us. We know that we were created to interact with the Godhead. That's why we exist. It is why God said, let us make man in our own image is it was because God was, you know, he was ran out of animals to make and let's do something different. No, no, no. He wanted fellowship. So he turned to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and said, let's us make something, make an individual in our own image. 
and we are in awe of God, we love Jesus, but the portion of the Godhead that we interact with the most is the Holy Spirit. And because it's a relationship, you have some bearing on what that relationship looks like. We think that an encounter with the Holy Spirit is completely up to him. All right, do what you're going to do, Lord, but I'm bracing myself. No, no, it's up to you because relationships are two-way. And if I were to ask each one of you, had you, have you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit or with God, most of you would say yes. And if I asked how you encountered him, there would be a hundred different ways that you would describe that. There is a tendency for us to hammer other people's encounter with the Holy Spirit into our own personal experience. We say, this is how I encountered him, so this must be how everyone does. But the truth is, some people have very different encounters than we do. Some people have very quiet, gentle encounters with the Holy Spirit. In 1 Samuel, Hannah is in the temple, and she's having a deep encounter with God as she prays through the pain of being childless. Okay? It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of our moms, but we recognize Mother's Day is very hard for some who wanted to have kids and, and maybe never did or, or have, a, have a, a strange relationship with a child. It's difficult. And Hannah is feeling the pain of wanting a child and never having had one. The Bible says that her lips were moving, but she wasn't making a sound. And Eli, the priest, wonders if she's been drinking. How bad is it that what your pastor's first thought is they've had a few too many? She isn't the person on the end of the bar drinking her problems away. She's a woman alone with God. In 1 Samuel 1.15, Hannah answers, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She's having this quiet encounter with the Lord. Clearly, she is being touched by God, and Eli prophesies over her that she would receive a son. Now, I have no real interest in dissecting other people's experiences, but I would venture to believe that late in life, when she looked to this day, she would say, I had an encounter with God. Something happened in that day. Something changed, but nobody heard a thing. Other people have very demonstrative encounters with the Lord. And when I refer to demonstrative encounters, some of you brace yourself. Because you have heard of things or you've seen things in meetings and you're going, no, I don't want that. That is not what I want. Because you don't like hype. It's not that you don't want God. It's that you don't, you don't like hype. Trust me, nobody dislikes hype more than I do. I can spot it 100 miles away and I'm allergic to it. I just don't like it. But scripture and history are both full of people that have demonstrative, life-changing, physical encounters with God. In Acts chapter 5, so much is crammed into this one chapter. Miracles are being done, and at the same time, people are dropping dead in the presence of, the, of God. Like the Holy Spirit is so strong, and they've done something they shouldn't have done, and they lie to him, and they drop dead. And the, the passage has this in, unusual phrase that says, nobody dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. What are those people like? Oh, they're, they're really something. Do you want to join them? No. Why? Offering goes bad. People die. Like the presence of the Lord is so great there. But the next verse says that the church grew daily. 
So even though there are these crazy encounters and people are dying under the presence of God and they're being healed, the church is growing. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit inspired awe and a reverence that at the same time drew people and grew the church. To this day, people encounter the Holy Spirit differently. This was a powerful encounter. Other people have quiet encounters. In my late 20s, I was growing a little disillusioned with ministry. You know, normally you don't grow disillusioned to your 50s, but I was gifted. So I, you know, and ministry years are like dog years. So I was kind of in my 50s. But I grew disillusioned with the routine of ministry. It wasn't that I didn't love the people or I didn't love the Lord. It just felt like I was building widgets, you know, on a machine. And it grew, boredom had set in. Some of you are bored with your walk with the Lord. Let me just, don't be too discouraged with that because it's just about two degrees of difference between boredom to hunger. Like, those two aren't that different. And I remember I was setting up for our youth group service that night. I'm in a closet hauling out chairs and tables and, and I was just so tired of the routine of ministry. I had music playing and I remember the song was a David Ruiz song. Some of you know David personally. And he was singing... Lord, I groan, I kneel, I'm crying out for something real because I know deep in my soul there must be more. And when he sang that line, it was like every atom in my body aligned. I'm like, this is where I'm at. There's got, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, but this cannot be the full Watusi, okay? There's got to be more. And he continued to sing, Lord, I'm tired, I'm weak, I need your power to work in me. And as I agreed with that song like it was a prayer, the Holy Spirit entered the room and I began to sob. Now, some of you have known me for five years, you've never seen me cry. A few of you have seen me cry. I'm just not a crier, sorry. But I just started to weep uncontrollably as the Holy Spirit poured over me. I remember thinking, I'm standing in the closet of a church gym sobbing. If anybody walks in, they're going to like mandate healthcare. Like, you know, I'm like, this is like, this does not look like somebody who's receiving from the Lord. This looks like somebody's having a breakdown. But it was a pivotal day in my life and it was on the leading edge of some pivotal moments that really changed how we did youth ministry and how the Lord began to show up in the months to follow through other couple of counters like this. We would have kids drive by our meeting building place. It was a, it was a gymnasium, just a big metal building. And they would stop because the Lord directed them and they would come in and surrender their lives to the Lord right there in the youth meeting. They had no idea what was going on in that meeting. Some people have quiet encounters. Some people have demonstrative encounters. Differences between how the Holy Spirit moves on people has led to suspicion and assumptions about it. Because here's the deal. Those who have had quiet encounters assume that those who are having demonstrative encounters with the Lord are faking it. You know, that's not how he moved on me. What are you, you're, you're shaking over there. Get over it. And those that have had demonstrative encounters, look at the ones that are having quiet encounters. They don't even know if they're saved. You know, how can the Holy Spirit be moving? Is not what is happening to me is not what's happening to you. The difference in how he moves on people doesn't point to disunity or varied depths of encounter. The person shaking under the power of God is not having a deeper encounter than Anna did. 
It points to how layered and complex the Holy Spirit is and how largely misunderstood he is. He's got a lot of different tools in his tool belt and he uses all of them. Whatever it looks like, I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit to move in our church. I want it for me, but I really also want it for you. And to follow God as a church family is to embrace that and say, Lord, whatever it looks like, we want it. Now, before I talk about things like manifestations or spiritual gifts, I always like to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit first. Eventually, we'll talk about things like the baptism. We'll talk about things that some of you will cheer about and others will make nervous. I'm fine with that. I like awkward when I'm generating it. I have no problem with that. But we got to talk about who he is before we start asking for gifts. A couple of common errors of thought regarding who the Holy Spirit is. One error is this, the idea that the Holy Spirit is a placeholder in history. The idea that the Holy Spirit made his debut arrival in Acts 2, and he's here as kind of some interim form of God until Jesus gets back. You know, the Holy Spirit's here to hold the fort. He is not a placeholder. He has been moving on and in people from the beginning of history. He didn't make a sudden appearance in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit has always been. But in the Old Testament, it was on a selective and temporary basis. In the Old Testament, the Spirit rested on specific individuals for specific giftings for specific seasons. The Bible said he anointed craftsmen for work. He anointed people for leadership. He anointed them as prophets. 1 Samuel 16, 13, 14. It's referring to David, the boy, being anointed as king. Then Samuel took the horn of the Lord and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So here the spirit rests on David and lifts off Saul. Saul didn't expect it, but it happened. David didn't expect it, but it happened. And David never forgot it. And years later, as he is writing the Psalms, he's writing Psalm 5111, and he is remembering, there was a day when the Holy Spirit lifted off Saul and rested on me, and he writes, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He was going, I see how this works, Lord. You move on certain people in this age and you lift it off of Saul and I'm begging you, don't lift off my life until you're ready. In the Old Testament times, the Spirit rested on people for specific things, specific jobs, specific times. Jesus spoke of a significant shift in how the Holy Spirit would move on people. Up until that time, the Holy Spirit moved on people for tasks, either temporal or spiritual. But you needed help and he would rest on you and he would lift Jesus described something far more relational that would come. And it wasn't a coming and going of the Holy Spirit. It was a coming and staying. John 14, 16 and 17, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He said the Holy Spirit is coming not to rest on you for a task, but to befriend you and to dwell in you. It is a relationship. It is not a transaction. 
And then, after his resurrection, but before his ascension, he promised an experience that was fundamentally different than what happened in the Old Testament. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and until the ends of the earth. So he tells them over the course of his ministry, the Holy Spirit will dwell in you, he will be with you, and he will come upon you. You're going to grow very familiar with, with those phrases. He will dwell with you, he will be in you, and he will come upon you. Because that is how he will manifest and interact with your life. He is in you or with you for your internal life, for conviction, for edification, for strength, and for peace. When you come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. Some of you are going, what about, and you're inserting a denomination there. Whether they acknowledge it or not, when they are saved, the Holy Spirit is in them. He is with them and he is in them. And it is there for conviction and, and uh, it is there for edification. It is that still small voice when you gather with him and you, you pray, Lord, I need you to speak, and, and he speaks to you. Does that happen to denominations and groups that don't speak in tongues? Absolutely. They absolutely hear from the Holy Spirit. He is with them and he is in them. When he comes upon them, like he has promised to do in the book of Acts, that is for outward ministry to bless those around you and empower you to do things you could not do. He is with you and in you for your own building up, your own edification, your own sanctification to make you more like Jesus. And that still small voice, oh, should I do? It's conviction, you know? But he comes upon you for outward ministry. The Holy Spirit is in and with believers everywhere. The charismatic church does not own the franchise on the Holy Spirit. It doesn't. But he comes upon people in a different way that some choose not to accept. As believers, it is natural for both of those things to happen. Too many have wanted the Holy Spirit come upon them for power without embracing the Holy Spirit with them and in them for their own sanctification. When that happens, we find gifting and outward ministry outpacing character. And suddenly, we want what he wants to do on the outside of us more than we're willing to accept what he wants to do on the inside of us. And there's nothing more dangerous in the kingdom than someone who is spiritually gifted but inwardly immature. It's dangerous. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit works in us before he comes upon us. Does that make sense? It's like, Lord... Do what you're going to do in me before you put me on a platform somewhere. Because if you come on me, but I haven't embraced what you want to do in me, I am a loaded gun left out for the toddler to find. God, why aren't you moving in power? Maybe he's doing something in you before he can do something upon you. In Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer, the wicked man, but he offered the disciples money if they would give him the gift that they had to lay hands on people and see the Holy Spirit come upon them. He's like, that's pretty cool. I can make some serious jack if I was able to do, replicate this. Like, what would people pay if I could do this? And they rebuke him. They say that he has the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. He needed the Holy Spirit to work in him before the Holy Spirit would come upon him. Getting back to this idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. 
When this event happens, as described in Acts 1.8, tongues of fire appear, the Holy Spirit comes upon the early church in power for evangelism and signs and wonders. Acts 2.16-18. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. That in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What is the key, like, what is the point of them telling? What's the crux here? For so long we have thought this is about the demonstration. It's about the manifestations. Tongues of fire speaking. This is all great. What, what is it actually about? It's actually not about the demonstration because people that had visions, dreams, and prophesied in the Old Testament. This is not about the manifestation. It's about the distribution of manifestations. It's about the fact that, okay, what I have done in the past on this individual, then I lifted it and I went on to this individual. Now it's for everybody. Now it comes upon the young and the old. It comes upon men. It comes upon women. The paradigm of interaction with the Holy Spirit was meant for everybody. There are not many things in life that work for everybody. They just aren't. That's why if there's a taco stand that's open at 2 a.m. downtown, you go down there, most everybody's under 30. Right? Nobody goes to tacos downtown at 2 a.m at 30 or 40 years old, you're like, forget this. You get to 50, you're like, oh, it's 4.30, it's time for dinner. You know, you go to, you go to uh, Cracker Barrel at 4.30, very different crowd than it is at 2 a.m. for tacos. Why? Because it's just hard to do something for everybody. The Holy Spirit is the most enthusiastic, multi-generational minister you will ever meet. He's like, oh, you're young, I got something for you. You're old, I got the same thing for you. All right? Wherever you are in life, male, female, he says, it's for everybody. We have friends who pastor young adult churches. I mean, everybody's like 25 and under. We have friends that pastor churches, everybody in their 50s, 60s, and up. The Holy Spirit is the only person who ministers effectively across all ages and both genders. And I say this to accentuate that the Holy Spirit is not a latecomer or a placeholder in history. He's been moving all through history, and now we live in an age when he moves on all people. That idea that he's just a placeholder, it's wrong. The second idea that sometimes people get wrong is the idea that the Holy Spirit is a force. It's kind of like sanctified Star Wars, you know? Like he's this nebulous force. And that comes from people having demonstrative encounters with the Lord and then describing it in the best way they know how, but it's not adequate. Oh, what happened? Oh, I just got zapped by the Holy Spirit. What? Like, what happened? You know, for those of us who grew up on a farm, we got zapped by an electric fence. That's not what we are looking for. But because people have talked about him in this way and in kind of weird ways about describing, yeah, the Lord just blew up the meat. What happened? People say weird things. I'm not saying he doesn't manifest himself in that way, but his power is not all there is to him, okay? What he is doing is not him. He is a personality. He is a person, not just a force. 
What's the difference? Do you want your kids to think of you just in terms of money? Or do you want them to think of you as an individual who coincidentally provides a lot of money? Like, you want, you want a relationship. You don't want just to be a debit card. He doesn't want to just be a force that moves in our lives or gives gifts. He goes, no, I want to be a person in your life. And confusion on this about whether, is he a force or is he an individual, has led to a lot of dogmatic teaching on the Holy Spirit that's just flat wrong. Because how do you codify a relationship with a person? Some, anybody of you who's been married, if you've been married two or three years, you probably think you could pull this off, but if you've been married 10 years, you know better. You could not write a book about how to get along with your spouse. You could never finish it. Like the book just keeps getting longer and longer, doesn't it? Why? Because they're not just a force, they're, a, they're complex, they're a relationship. And I have found that people that try and, and develop very clear, distinct rules about how the Holy Spirit responds are often the people that have the least encounter with the Holy Spirit. Like, cessationists and people that don't believe in gifts have huge, thick books about the Holy Spirit because they've got to draw boxes around him. But he's an individual. He's not just a force. When you think of him as a person, you go, or tell him what he's going to do. He's an individual. I want, I want a relationship with the Holy Spirit that doesn't fit in a book. I'm on a relationship with the Holy Spirit that doesn't fit in the outline. That encounters me with, or I encounter him as a person and he tells me something and it's new and it's fresh. It's not, oh, I read about that on page 42. I knew you were going to do that because I figured you out. Imagine, again, imagine that approach with your spouse. It just wouldn't work. Relating to the Holy Spirit cannot be condensed to mere rules or defining statements. Because the more we define who exactly he is, the more confusing we make it for people. If I were to describe my wife and say, oh, she's a great cook. Some of you go, oh, you married Julia Child. No. If I say she's a great mom, some of you go, oh, you married Carol Brady. No. If I said she's a fiery preacher, some of you, oh, you married Lisa Bevere. No. And if you put Julia Child, Carol Brady, and Lisa Bevere in a blender, you still wouldn't have Kelsey. It's complex, okay? Solid statements about the Holy Spirit only does this actually don't help us that much. Because he's saying, I did that, I might do it again, might do something different. Are you here for me or are you here for the pony tricks? Direct, definitive phrases about who he is and what he does don't help much. So what the Bible does to talk about who he is, it doesn't give us these, these hard and fast rules. It gives us similes. You know what a simile is? Simile describes what something is like. It's kind of a word picture. And we have a bunch of similes in the Bible about the Holy Spirit and what he's like. And I was going to tackle a couple of them today. But we're out of time. And I think we have enough to think about and to respond to in the moment. I'm going to ask if Zion would come back up. He's a fool who preaches all of his mind. That's a fractured Bible verse. I just want to take a minute and just reflect a little bit on what we've heard. This is a person, okay? This is not a force. 
He's not a placeholder. He is a person. And when we lift our voices, he says, oh, they're talking to me. They're talking to me. And he responds to the sound of our voice. Stand with me for just a moment. We're going to take just a couple of minutes here and ask him to manifest himself in our church family in any way that he wants. So, Father, we come to you and we say thank you for your son, Jesus. And we say thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to us on men and on women, on young and on old. And right now we ask, Lord, that you would step into this room and draw near to us. Begin to ask him to come close, like you would a person. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we want you with us and in us and upon us. We ask for conviction. We ask for sanctification as you move in us. And Lord, we ask for the fullness of the gifts that you've promised to us. Before we dive into those gifts, Father, we ask that you would do in us what you need to do. You would build a foundation a closeness with the Holy Spirit, a response to that still, small voice, 100-fold obedience when you give us instruction on the inside. Do something in us before we ask you to do something with us, God. Right now, we're just asking for the Holy Spirit to speak. Holy Spirit within us, we ask you to speak in conviction for that little area of our life that we've tucked away and we've said things like, it's not that bad. We've also have been really careful that nobody's found out about it. The Lord's speaking to some of you right now. That, that's him in you and with you. He's convicting you. Listen to that voice. Some of you are deeply discouraged. And that dream about moving your heavy load over to his wagon resonated with you. He's speaking to you. Let him speak to you right now. Holy Spirit, what will you do in us?
say thank you that in this era you go with us you don't lift from one to go with the other but you walk with us you're in us you're with us for sanctification you're with us for comfort you're with us for conviction we walk with the very presence of God from this place seated for just a second. I just want to ask you as a church family to do something with me. I am asking for the Lord to open a door for us to meet during the week. Preferably someplace we could also gather on Sundays, that would be best. But what we stepped into this morning in the way of intercession and prayer this is a core of what we're made, made to do. And I am super grateful for the Culture House. They've been kind hosts. They're happy with us staying here. There's nothing imminent. But they have been kind to us. However, there are things that are in us that we can't do in this place. So I want to ask you to pray on a daily basis that the Lord would open a door, open the finances, give us wisdom that we can find a place where we can do what we did this morning in the way of prayer on a regular basis throughout the week and gather and really a place for your friends. You all, you're incredibly kind. You come and you meet in the random church context generator. Never know what's going to be. You might sit behind trees. Okay? And it's, but here's the, here's the downfall. We have done this so long, it's funny to us. But it's not funny to somebody that we don't know that's just wandering in going, what kind of place is this? And we want to provide a place where we can be hospitable and we can welcome. Because I believe what he's getting ready to do involves more. And we want to make space for that. Will you pray with that, into that with me? Let's, let's pray into that right now. And I'm going to ask you to pray that this week. Father, we come as a church family. We ask you to open a door somewhere. Lord, give us dreams, speak to our heart, show us the finances, whatever it takes to make that door pivot on the hinge so that we can build you a resting place and we can partner with you. We can meet in the evenings. We can just explore what you're doing in the Holy Spirit, not worry about a time constraint and that our friends can come and their lives can be changed. We ask on behalf of what we want to do for you, but also we ask for those people. Remind us of this this week in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pray for that each week at some point during the service until things change. God bless you. 
Have a great Sunday.